Hello everybody and welcome to the GMS Magazine channel and podcast. This is the RPG Interview Room, a show in which I am lucky enough to be able to get together with people from the RPG world and talk to them about their work, their games and their writing or illustrations. This is both a video interview and a podcast, so if you want to see our guest, by all means, do head to our YouTube channel, but if you want to take it on the go, by all means, do take a look at the podcast as well. I remember to subscribe to both and leave us a review, which helps immensely. In this particular case, I have with me Darren Pierce. Darren is somebody I met quite a while ago at UK Games Expo, where we had an absolutely fantastic seminar on how to write adventures. Recently, though, he has worked on the Judge Dredd role-playing game that Ian Publishing published, well, not that long ago. And I believe it's a game that we should talk about way more than it's been talked about, because Judge Dredd is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. You may not think so, having watched some of the films, but the comic is absolutely brilliant. And the last film they did about it, it was fantastic. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Darren is very passionate and a very, very talented writer to boot. So I wanted to ask him about what is about this game that is so, so good. And what did he have to do to actually make it shine the way it does? Because it certainly is worth taking a look at. So without further ado, here's Darren. Uh, Darren, welcome to the show. Since it's been, I believe, uh, going on six years since I last saw you in the flesh. That's right. We were at the UK Games Expo. Right, because I have never had you in the podcast, uh, Vidcast, before. Um, and I know that in real life you actually can answer questions because I, I saw you replying, answering questions when... We were the UK yep. Games Expo, um, but I've never had you here. So we have to make sure that this is a warm up so we can answer the question. So I'm going to ask you five things. Um, there are no wrong or right answers. Uh, yep. So just feel free to be honest. I usually am. Okay. Tea or coffee? Tea, definitely. Okay. Uh, I used to love coffee, mm -hmm. but people like me. <laughs> oh, okay. One of those. Um, <laughs> uh, the beach or the mountain? Oh, that's an interesting one. Now, I must admit, I think the mountain. Okay, that's a good one as well. Uh, cars or motorbikes? Cars. Okay, I didn't take you long to think about that one. That's, that's no, good. GL is the, um, is the motorcyclist in, in the family. Um, <laughs> okay. I prefer four wheels to two. Somebody <laughs> asked me that question originally, and I was like, no, four wheels. I prefer the balance of a car. I like the idea of a motorbike and the freedom, <laughs> but it's harder uh, riding the TT. Fair enough. Um, With George Formby. Oh, heavens. There you go. If I tell that to my sister-in-law, she would be all over you, believe me, because she loves TT racing. She goes to the Isles of Man every year and everything, so yeah, that would be quite a conversation about it. Right, uh, fourth uh, question. Uh, fantasy or science fiction? That's an interesting one because I, th I think I definitely fall on the side of fantasy. If I were to put down all the writing I've done, mm -hmm. I would say that 80% of it's been fantasy okay. and the rest is, is kind of science fiction. 
or the middle science fantasy. Okay, which... that's absolutely perfectly acceptable. Um, last but not least, uh, vampires or zombies? Vampires. Okay, good. Uh, there's not much done properly with them. I say properly with vampires. There's not much really been done with vampires, but zombies, we've got them coming out of areas everywhere I look. <laughs> there's a zombie thing. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but to be honest, I think we also had a big, massive outbursts of uh, vampires 20 years ago because yeah. we, we have all sorts of things going on with with vampires we have uh, being human and we had buffy and angel right, yeah. and uh, we had all these um uh, true true blood francis Ford Coppola's dracula yep absolutely uh, so um so i think it's the yeah, zombies taking over. over yeah i think the zombies it's the time for the zombies to yeah listen let's see how long they last right um i wanted to talk to you and i'm, I'm really glad to have you around because um you have had a massive part in the Judge Dread role-playing game. Right, yeah. um, and I wanted to ask about the game because, to be honest, I get the feeling that it's a game that deserves a lot more attention than it's got. I know that there's a lot of hardcore fans around, but I don't see that game being mentioned often enough in Facebook yeah. forums or Twitter, in the internet in general. And I, I don't know, considering the IP, Considering yeah. the authors, the you people who've been involved in it, I reckon they should be a lot more discussed and talked about. Um, so let's start from from the beginning. What was your uh, experience with Judge Dread up to the time when you became involved in the project? Well, um, when I was younger, um, my my family have always had me immersed in fiction, science fiction everything to do with fantasy you name it fairy tales whatever it was my mom and dad were really really keen for me to be as immersed in things that weren't i suppose real or you know um they were really really interesting to me as a kid i wasn't so interested in looking at the bumper book of cars okay. as i was looking at a big big book of science fiction chris <laughs> foster illustrations of starships or or something along those lines, or even the Eagle comics, or um, Dan Dare. A mm -hmm. friend of mine used to bring around, or a friend of my dad's used to bring around the Dan Dare annuals. Right. I'd sit hours reading those. And basically, eventually, when we had 2000 AD um, sort of come over, we, you know, were in its infancy, my nan used to buy me comics. And it was Beano, the Dandy, and things like that. And one day she came back with. 2000 AD, and she said basically, "Here you go. Here's a comic. You like these? Have this one." And I sat down and I read it from cover to cover. Then I read it again and again. Then I read it later on after Doctor Who on the Saturday night, and it was Tom Baker as well. And I read it again, and I was blown away by this this comic. Because all the stories, this wasn't a kid's comic. Mm. These were stories that I could really relate to. And so from that point on, it was a case of, Nan, can I have 2000 AD every Saturday? And whenever it comes out, can you get it, mate? You know, when she was like, yeah, you, you have comics. He bought me Marvel comics as well. I got Spider-Man and things like that. But 2000 AD was my first love of comics. 
And that was where I began, literally at the start of 2000 AD here with Judge Dredd. And I fell in love with it. And then Nemesis the Warlock, mm-hmm. Stronty and Dark, the ABC Warriors. I can go on and list all the things, you know, Sam Slade, Robo Hunter, um, you name it, the Future Sock, Shocks. It was all there. And then over the years, you know, I just kept on collecting it and reading it, picking up annuals, picking up anything to do with Dread that I could find. I watched the, the Stallone movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then, of course, we had the much better, in my opinion, please, outside on the internet, nobody kill me, Carl Urban version. Oh, that, uh, that, uh... I don't care what the internet has to say. I thought that was an absolutely cracking film. I mean, it really yes. got everything I was expecting from a Judge Dredd movie. Oh, that yeah. was brilliant. Brilliant. He, he is Dredd, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. There is only Carl Urban as Dredd. If, when they do the TV show, if they don't have him in as Dredd, there'll be a riot. And I'll start it. Absolutely. And I'll be there with you, you know, burning torches. But uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's where it began. And then over over time, um, I just kept on reading it and reading it. John Wagner um, had a huge influence on my life, especially with Strontian Dog. Strontian Dog is something that, that is really near and dear. You have like Judge Dredd, mm-hmm. you have Strontian Dog, you have Nemesis the Warlock. If I name three 2080 properties that I am fond of, those are the three amongst many that are my top three. So Nemesis. When um, when you read that the book, you said then a minute ago that um, you could relate to it. What is it that made you relate to Judge Dredd to, to 2000 AD? What is it that you looked at and thought, yeah, this is... These this. were intelligent, subversive stories that were not the kind of typical comic story that was being told at the time, especially in the British comic. Uh, at that time, you know, we've got a lot of the underground movements. I mean, when you read the first episode, Nemesis the Warlock, you have the song going underground from the jam actually in the text, which is, is something quite special because at that time, of course, I was listening to the jam. Um, friends of mine were, they were a, a wide cornucopia of people. We're talking punks, mm-hmm. rockers mods i had a, a, a vast they were queer they were trans they were different people who were out there and they were 2000 ad mm-hmm. and i recognized them in 2000 ad you go through judge dread you look in the stories of judge dread you'll see people from the street that the comic artists and the writers drew inspiration from as you know with london and, and so on london is a is a melting pot of all sorts and where i live um, where I've always lived, around by Warsaw, Wolverhampton, you have the same thing. Goths gather like moths to a flame around the statue of the, the horseman in Wolverhampton. You watch an episode of Salvage Hunters, uh, not Salvage Hunters, Money for Nothing, with Jay Blades. Mm-hmm. He's a restorer and creator. He lives around Wolverhampton. His workshop's around Wolverhampton. And every time they do a shot of Wolverhampton, you have that horse, and there's a bunch of goths usually on screen hanging around it. So these are the people that I grew up with, especially the punks. And when I looked at 2000 AD, I could relate to all the things that I've been talking to with them, 
may have been talking to me. I, I, I wasn't really much for hanging around people my own age mm-hmm. or people who were, I, I want to say, cishet. I, I didn't really get on well with a lot of people around that sort of time because I was an outsider as well. When you grow up with fantasy and science fiction, you seem to give off this almost kind of sense that the other kids spot and it's like, oh, he's a nerd, he's a geek. You know, he likes Star Wars. Let's take the let's take the Mickey out of him. Let's say he runs around in Superman underwear. Didn't bother me. Nothing like that does. What would be wrong with that anyway? But I always used to say, used to say, you know, if you think that I am, you know, anyway related, way, shape, or form to Superman, he's a hero. So yeah, fine, thumbs up. <laughs> the same as when people say, "Oh, you're such a social justice warrior." Uh-huh. Like, and... The wrong thing. Uh, so what's um, no? I mean, we have already established that uh, there's definitely a love and a knowledge of Judge Dredd in there since immemorial time. You know, um, that's it. Yeah, I was I was drawn. <laughs> Like a moth to a fly. What was your involvement in in the game when when they got you into the into the project? Well, uh, several years ago, I can't quite remember now. That's going back a, a bit. I uh, was sitting at the computer, and I got a message from Angus Abranson at the time when he was with Ian World, and Angus said to me, "There's a project. I can't tell you what it is." but it's in your list of interests on Facebook. I'd like you, and so would Russ, to be the lead writer on it. We think that you know quite a lot about it, and I'm racking my brain. I'm trying to work out what the heck is Angus on about. Well, I, and I, so I, Angus, Angus was mean there, because you have a very vast list of interests, and you're very knowledgeable about <laughs> exactly. an awful lot of things. So it was a bit, it can I be was, a number of 50 talking, things. But it can't be Doctor Who. <laughs> because Cubicle Seven's got no, Doctor Who, okay. it can't be Lone Wolf because Cubicle Seven's got Lone Wolf, or it might have been Mongoose who've got Lone Wolf at the time. But eventually, he he sort of contacted me again. He said, "Look, I've I've had a word with Ross. Um, can I give you a call?" So I had a phone call from Angus, and Angus again was quite mysterious on the phone. And we chatted for a few minutes, and he said, "Provisionally, would you be interested in this mystery project?" And me, well. I'm game for virtually anything, so I said provisionally yes. He said, well, I'll go and have a word with Russ. And when he had a word with Russ, Russ must have said to him, oh, tell Darren exactly what it is. <laughs> we can trust him not to blab it around. And so Angus calls me back and he said, I had a word with Russ. This is the mystery project. It's a role-playing game based on Judge Dredd, but not just Judge Dredd. This is Judge Dredd in the worlds of 2000 AD, completely backed by Rebellion, and 150 plus 2000 AD IPs are ours to play with, if we want. But the first book will be Judge Dredd. Are you in? It took me a nanosecond to reply yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that's how I became involved with it. And he said, we want you to be the lead writer, um, work with work with Nick Robinson and put together this um, book. Nick will help shape the book. He'll tell you what you need to write. Um, but we reckon that you would be best writing all the gazetteer and all the various things and some of the GM advice. And um, specifically, though, I wrote a massive amount of the Dread um, 
gazetteer, I wrote the crime, the, a lot of the crime blotters, mm-hmm. especially the ones that have 2000 AD style titles. Like one of them's called the Munst Bunch. Mm-hmm. And that is basically everything I've done has a nod to proper 2000 AD. And they said to me when, when we were doing the Dread book, we want to take this back to the basics when Dread has just got on the streets. There's no wall around Mega City One. This is right from the start. And then we're going to move forward through time and we're going to do the Robot Wars. We're going to do Luna One. And you know Andy Peregrine, um, and he's a great guy. He did Robot Wars and he made an absolutely superb job of it. Uh, I haven't had any other involvement in the Dread side of things since I wrote a lot of the core book because they've had me writing Strontium Guard. Okay. So, um, how does exactly work? I mean, I know that Nick Robinson is, is a very knowledgeable and um, he's just as adorable guy. So, how does the communication between the two of you work? Because there's one thing that interests me, how two writers can work together to bring something... Right, when we were, so, when we were working on the book, me and Nick would communicate via Facebook, um, obviously with a quick tap, tap, tap question here and there. But if we needed a longer um, conversation, then Discord was the was the the favourite um, thing. I would talk to Nick, or in fact, you know, and we get a, a dialogue going. I chat to him. We find out exactly what was needed to make the book come alive. And Nick would say to me, "Okay, we need 40, 50, 60 locations. You know the dread verse as well as me. Um, what do you think we should have in? Oh, you got to have the Hall of Justice." You know, you need Palais de Boing. Mm-hmm. You need the various smokatoriums and, and all these locations which bring Mega City One to life. And then we talked about the careers. And we decided early on that we would split books, careers into judges, criminal, perps, and citizens. So there was citizen careers. So if you want to play an entire game of Judge Dredd as just Joe Schmo, mm-hmm. the citizen, you can play a citizen, an entire group of citizens. And that puts a different spin on it. But yeah, I mean, it was Discord and Facebook and emails that we communicated virtually daily and we kept each other in the loop. I sent Nick my drafts each, pretty much at the end of the day, I'd send him something that I've been working on and he'd send me back, oh, I think we should add these careers. And so the original career list where we got like 10 ballooned to 20. And um, Nick and Russ obviously created the stats for them because that meant that I could go and write the flavor text and sort of come up with ideas for them and the exploits that they'd have in the system. And then they could go off and they could just put the stats to it. And that means that um, I was the sort of creator of a lot of the fluff which is my favourite thing. So, did the rules where uh, were the rules applied to your designs, or did you have to adapt the designs to be uh, congruent with how the rules were meant to work? Well, I got a copy of um, the uh, the what's all this new system and a rough idea of, of what Fred was going to be. Um, Russ has 
obviously the rules master. Mm -hmm. So I put lots of little notes and brackets in my design and said, okay, I think they should have these exploits, these particular things they can do, these skills would be a good idea. Um, this particular perp career is this. So maybe he needs to have a particular exploit that gets him quite, you know, he can mug people really well. Okay. So he's, he's got some ability that he can, that he can, and then Russ and Nick would look at that and go, okay, well, we've got the rules document. So we can go, this is where, you know, this is what fits. Or we can put a little note there as well, and we could alter it as and when we've got the full rules document for Judge Dredd in the World of 2000 AD. Because, of course, it was it was in flux constantly until, you know, very sort of at the point when I'd stopped writing all my stuff, the rules were still being done. Or rather, the, the, the stats were still being done okay. for the characters. Well, Russ did an amazing well, job. Well, he, he did an amazing job in general with uh, What's All Is New. I mean, it's, it's, it's a book yes. I eventually managed to get. And I haven't read the whole thing because it's, it's just... Very thick, it is. very thick. Um, I got my version of What's Old is New. Um, I got the Xenomorph edition that they sent me okay. as, a, as a big thank you. Uh, because I also wrote the Xenomorph's Fall of Somerset Landing adventure for uh, What's Old is New. What was the biggest challenge at the time of writing the, the Judge Dread game? I would say getting the feel of Mega City 1 and the Dreadverse as close to the comics as possible mm -hmm. because um, there have been several Judge Dread games but they've all been just Judge Dread and they've all been in, in the past they've not quite had the sheer level of um, resource we had from Rebellion because we had access to every single one of the Judge Dredd case files. So if we needed to clarify something from Meg City 1 or the comic and to make sure that we get something right, like Walter, the robot, with Andy, mm -hmm. then we could just look at the comic online in the repository and go, that's it. That's the thing. That's, the, that's what we need to do. With me and Mega City 1, it was literally a case of flicking through the comics, looking at various locations that pop up in the early Dread and going, okay, so this is this particular story has this location, make a note of it. So I think for me, the challenge was getting it Dread enough okay. so that the fans could go, ah, oh, this is Dread. People who don't know what Dread is could go, oh, so this, this is what Dread is. This is where he, he patrols. This is the timeline of Mega City One. That was another big challenge, actually getting the, the timeline and also collating the criminal codes. Because if you're going to play a street judge or any judge in Judge Dread, having access to the codes like the Code Twenty codes and Subsection Five, which is umpty bagging, is paramount. And we put those on the GM screen. So. The, um. Tell me a little bit about what is the character creation like in in the game. What kind of characters can can people create? Wow. Um, so 
uh, as I said before, you can split the careers mm-hmm. into three categories. You have your judges. Okay. So we start with the judges. I can't list them all, um, but I can tell you, you can play street judge. You can play good old dreads street judge. You can play um, side judges, which we'll be expanding on eventually when we roll around to the storyline that brings in Judge Anderson. And you can play med tech judges. You can play a sort of senior judge. You can play as virtually every single judge career that we could think of in the comics at that point is in the book. And these are all customizable as well. So you've got a life path similar-ish to Cyberpunk 2013 slash 2020 or The Witcher or Cyberpunk Red in that you roll and then you you sort of carry on through your career and you add things and the the judges of course get specific judge things they can add and then of course you go from the judges like i said to you you want to play a citizen mm-hmm. of judge red well there are citizens and there's various citizen careers because citizens Everybody in dread that's not a judge is on welfare. They don't work really mm-hmm. and they get bored. So your average citizen might decide to strap on a bat glider and jump off the top of a rooftop and glide across Mega City One. And they have various bat glider crazies because they have fads in Mega City One. Mm-hmm. The the people get bored, so they decide, let's shoot at each other with real lasers. Yeah, let's do that one. Or let's climb one of the huge two, three thousand foot city blocks and get to the top. And these are called Jaegers. And these Jaegers have a low survivor rate. So they're there. <laughs> you can play a Jaeger if you want. You want to be a crazy citizen that goes to the tops of buildings just for the hell of it? You can. And then there's, of course, the perps, the criminals. You've got your, your classic sort of judge dread criminal mm-hmm. um, all the way from your street level enforcers, your thugs, to crime bosses. You can play uh, one of the other things also. You can play the uh, enlightened animals, or rather the apes, like Don Oogie, mm-hmm. you can play one of those. So you can play a sort of mob boss who's an ape, just like in the comics. You can have dunks, which are like your, your pickpockets. And there's a, there's a whole slew of careers from every single one of these um, set of careers you can just play. So if I, if I sneakily while I'm talking to you, maybe just open up a file on my computer on the left-hand side of the screen, because I use dual monitors, I might be able to sort of give you a, a better idea of, um, of the things that you could also play. Off the top of my head, it's hard to remember some of the... Some of the uh, things because it is a huge 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 list give me a second civilian careers let's have a look 
I like this book. Also, Nimrod um, did an incredible job on the layout. I have to stop and, and give Nim um, an absolute props on the layout for this book because he has done an absolutely wonderful job on it. So basically, um, from the top, you have a blocker. Mm -hmm. Now, these are basically people who live in the city blocks. Life in the block is all they need. They don't need to go outside because these city blocks are like city blocks. They're like a city inside a skyscraper. And you can have boffins, which is a scientist, a boinger. And that sounds an interesting one. There's a substance in Dread called boing, which you spray over yourself and you become like a human pinball. Palais de Boing is where you're supposed to play with Boing and Boing around. Because remember, welfare, bored. <laughs> However, in one of the Dread stories, there are Boingers that go to the top of a city block, spray themselves with Boing, become a human pinball, and jump off, endangering traffic and people. And Dread ends up shooting them with incendiary rounds. And you can imagine a kind of rubbery substance being shot with an incendiary round. Yeah, that might backfire. Yeah. That's the then you can have regular citizens, which is one of the many multitudes. You can have city defense, which are, you know, you're, you're almost like the defense militia of Mega City 1. Um, you can have a gamer, gambler, basically. Okay. Uh, a regular employee, one of the few who actually have a job. Jaegers, okay. um, as I mentioned, the climbers. Narcs who inform on their fellow criminals or anyone really. So there is there is a I massive variation of um, yes. careers and, and kind of character you can have. But I'm I'm very curious about one thing. Uh, judges are not particularly flexible in their approach to the law. How can a party of players have criminals and judges in the same party? There are a couple of um, uh, crime blotters that uh, talk about this. And we decided that sometimes judges will work together with certain criminals okay. if the end goal is to deal with the big bad at the end of the actual thing. So, for instance, a judge could potentially work with some criminals. Uh, you know, obviously not all criminal roles are going to fit well with a street judge, for instance, like say. Uh, someone like Dread working with a mob boss but maybe that someone like Dread has to work with a mob boss to deal with a greater problem and it's up to them how they deal with that at the end I mean of course the, the street judge could arrest the mob boss and you've got a whole brand new branch of role playing there a whole different set of stories because that's not necessarily the end of the line for that particular player because his friends could try and bust him out. Right. You could run another scenario off the back of that where you sit down to everyone and say, okay, before you play the street judge and you were playing criminals, now you're all playing criminals. And because John there arrested Jane's character, now you're all going to break her out from this high security ISO cube facility in Mega City 1. 
And so straight away, you've gone from one adventure mm -hmm. and spun off to another. And so there, there are situations where you can have judges and criminals and even citizens working together. But you have to sort of be on the same page. That's what I was going to say. It feels like that kind of game would need a very strong social contract before the game yes. begins. So the tone is set. Um, what's, what's been the your biggest or proudest uh, achievement for this game? Because I can imagine that being somebody who is very passionate about the IP, to be able to do something that you can look at and say, yeah, that's that's mine, that's my contribution. What is it that little bit of you that you've put into this? I would say, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, chapter six, if anyone owns the book, Mega City One. Okay. Mega City One is basically um, make or break for Dread. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a giant city. Right? It covers the entire east coast of what was originally the United States of America. And when you've got 800 million potential stories, aka citizens, to get that wrong, even slightly when you've got absolutely <clears throat> fanatical fans of Dread, comic buffs, we wanted this book to be not just a role-playing game, but anyone who's a fan of Dread, who might not be a role-player, could take this, pick it up, and read about a sort of concise history of the city, locations in the city, a whole gazetteer, um, a complete glossary of terms from Mega City One. And so that I would say is my, you know, that's my proudest thing is, is being able to contribute to Dread in such a way to chronicle history of Dread and Mega City One. What's what have you learned about Judge Dredd in the in the creation of the game? What, as in the IP or...? In general, I mean, what have you discovered about the character, the universe, something that you thought, oh, I haven't thought about this before. This this should be in the game. Um, I, I think... What was really, really, really paramount for me. Again, it all comes down to atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, I discovered a whole layer of uh, Mega City 1 that I never saw as a kid. Um, things that might have been a bit too adult for my mind to grasp fully, but now I fully understand. And also things like the Mega City 1 terms and even things that when I read uh, I didn't know, for instance, a lot of the crime codes mm -hmm. or what the crimes and the punishments might be. But making this game, I got to look through the research material and flick through the comics and look up a lot of the crime codes. And I could look at them now with these eyes and go, oh, I didn't realise that. Because to me, it was, oh, Dred's there. He says something, then he shoots someone. Awesome. That's the way you do it. And so, yeah, I'd say for me, I'm just looking on this screen at the moment. Um, it's it's the it's sort of I learned a lot more about Mega City One as a place 
and even other places outside Mega City One, like Britsit and other places like the Cursed Earth. Obviously, we've got the Cursed Earth book, um, but little things that I never really took, not say interested, but they were just part of the comic. Mm -hmm. As the writer of, of the book, in the Gazetteer side of things and a bunch of other things. I learned a lot about the world of, of 2000 AD as it pertains to Dread from the tiniest detail that you don't normally see when you when you read a comic. Um, what was Revelion's reaction to the game? I mean, have they enjoyed it? What, what's How has it been received as Rebellion? Well, they, I mean, they, um, they have it on their website. Okay. Uh, they posted about it when it was um, when it was coming out, and uh, they were, um, you know, they were they were quite supportive. Uh, I haven't had much dealing with them. Russ is the one to to fully ask that um, oh, okay. question, and now Mark Langworthy, who who's the new uh, lead uh, line developer, Mark, wonderful guy, he superb. Is. He is. Uh, I love Mark. Um, I met him for the first time at UK Games Expo last year, and it was like we'd known each other for 10,000 years. <laughs> we got on like a proverbial Mega City One on fire. Uh, in fact, uh, there is a book coming uh, which me and Mark um, are going to, to write. Now, I'm allowed to say this because I said it at UK Games Expo last year, and Russ was there when I said it in front of lots of different people, so he can't shout at them. <laughs> Actually, you could. Um, we are going to do me and Mark. Uh, we're going to do Nemesis the Warlock. Nice, which is one of my all-time favourite. Nice, very uh, nice ones. So uh, I'm looking forward to writing that eventually. Excellent. Um, first is Strontium Dog, and Mark's been a great help with that. But mm -hmm. to, to go back um, down, Rebellion, from what I can perceive, are 110% behind the game. Um, I'll give you a, a sort of thing. When I was writing Strontium Dog, I went through the comics again. I got access to my own Strontium Dog comics, my own collected Strontium Dog issues and things, and such as this mm -hmm. book here, which is like the case files, Search and Destroy Agency file number three. And we were looking at locations for adventures and also like a gazetteer again. So in the Strontium Dog game, there is a huge gazetteer of the known worlds of the Strontium Dog universe. I spent weeks researching, writing up these little paragraphs and more on these planets. But then I said to Russ and to Mark, what would be cool is if we had our own system of worlds in the book. So we could build on the legacy of Strontium Dog. We couldn't do that with Judge Dredd because Judge Dredd is, is finite. It's, it's already it's, been written yeah. about. But Strontium Dog is mutant bounty hunters in the future of Earth in a different timeline to Dredd. And there are thousands of planets and worlds out there and systems. So I said to Mark, do you reckon we should have our own system? I could write it. 
and we can put homages to various things in there and mark when that's cool that is really cool uh, provisionally do it we can always put it on the cutting room floor if rebellion don't like the idea but i need to approach them he approached them then a few days later came back to me and said green light we're a go rebellion have said it's fine Excellent. you could put your own mark on strontium dog but that that'll be a, a conversation for another podcast I yes think. and i will make sure i have you around then um right to wrap it up uh, <laughs> give me the elevator pitch why should people have a go at the judge dread rpg well for a start the wine system is extremely flexible um you know that because mm. you've uh, seen it in and you've uh, yes. got a lot of potential it's i'd say crunchy but in a good way mm -hmm. and dread itself though this is obviously that this is the core book from this book virtually every other ip that we have like brute trooper and nemesis and strontium dog you'll need judge dread and the worlds of 2000 ad to um run the game mm -hmm. and enjoy uh, running and playing in it so i would say for people to pick up dread though if you're a fan of dread and you just want to immerse yourself in more dread and you want the best iteration of the dread role-playing game since the others came out and I'm, I'm not being big-headed in that regard this is what's been said to me at uk games expo this is what a lot of the wine and dread fans have said um that basically our book is the definitive Judge Dredd role-playing game. It is not just Judge Dredd, it is the Worlds of 2000 AD. It takes those older games and expands on the scope of it by far. Plus, there's a little bit of a smiley moment. Does the name Gail Simone mean anything to you? Oh, yeah. The comics queen. Absolutely. The mistress of Red Sonia, whose run of Red Sonia is probably, and I'm going to say this on record, the most sublime and brilliant version of Red Sonia I've ever read. Well, Gail was on Twitter the other day, mm -hmm. and she posted about Judge Dredd. Now, I'm a friend. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of following Gail. She's following me, and I can't resist Gail's tweets. She makes Twitter infinitely more interesting. True. And so, she posted about Dredd, and somebody came up with this this reply, and it was brilliant. So I said, as the lead writer of the Judge Dread was 2000 AD role-playing game, I tip my hat to you. That was a genius comment. And Gail came below and went, Dread RPG? What? <laughs> Tell me more. And so I posted it on Twitter. The moment that Gail Simone realises you have a Dread role-playing game, or you worked on one, is a moment I'll treasure forever. And then she went on this crusade to try and find out where to get it from. And of course, people were actually posting um, links to where to either the Kickstarter page where you can, or the main page where you can buy it from, or Drive Through RPG or EN World. And so I had my little moment of grin from ear to ear. Nelson <laughs> was like, "Thank you very much. I'm going to go and buy this now." So. I mean, if you want a full endorsement, if you're a fan of Gail Simone's and you think Gail Simone has taste, buy Judge Dredd in the Worlds of 2000 AD because she has. 
Well, that it's a it's a reason like any other. Uh, I'm, I'm better than most others, actually. I was, um, right, okay. <laughs> to wind down a little bit, I have um, the last three questions of uh -huh. the show for you. Um, question number one. What is the best advice that no one's ever given you? Best advice no one's ever given. That's an interesting question. <laughs> the best advice that no one has ever given me is to stop doing what I'm doing. Okay. I don't think anybody at any point in my entire career, this is 20 years. I mean, you, do you know my starting to role playing? Very mm -hmm. briefly, I was 10 years old and actually I was nine originally. And I went to school and they were playing war games, Axis and Allies, Steve Jackson's Car Wars, and so on. And the teacher came along and said, next week, we're playing this game. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. And he brought in the red keep on the board like this. First copy in the UK, pretty much. I didn't know this thing existed. And I played it that day with him. I played um, basically a thief type character who was tried to convince everyone he was a wizard. But they, the only way he could cast magic is they would turn away. They couldn't see him cast magic. Mm -hmm. And so he could open doors, but only if they weren't looking. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. Do you imagine someone who was brought up with Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit? Mm -hmm. That was it. They, they gave me, the, and that's how he described it. He said, this is Lord of the Rings, only you get to make the choices and play the characters. I was sold. So 10 years of age, my mum and dad hand me a box. Now I shake the box and I can hear a rattle. My heart skips 10 beats because I'm starting to draw conclusions. I rip open the paper and staring back at me is the red box with keep on the borderlands inside. Wow. Tear up the cellophane, dive into it, and then I read it for the rest of the year because I'm not ready yet to run it. 11 years of age, I ran my first game. It wasn't very good, well, but I ran it and I've never looked back. I'm still running role-playing games. Last night I was running Shadow of the Demon Lord, the nice. Godless book. Nice. Rob Schwab is the gold star genius. Nice. And such a lovely guy. Yes. And, a uh, but basically, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, nobody's ever stopped me in 20 years and said, you should stop writing. <laughs> Good. Um, second question. Um, what's the best mistake that you would like to make again? Best mistake I'd like to make again. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting one. I think it's being the right, the, the wrong place at the wrong time, okay. and meeting um, people who are role players who have basically helped me sort of increase my love of the hobby. Mm -hmm. And, and my my craft of it and sort of just being in a, in a place where I'm like well I should I could go there or I'll go here and oddly enough that place was the Clarendon suites of the UK games Expo mm. originally because originally we were going to go into Wolverhampton and we were doing something and then I forgotten who I'd said to that we should go and have a nose around this little event um, called UK Games Expo at the Clarendon Suites. And 
I kind of mistakenly arranged it. If okay. that sounds a bit weird, it was it was one of those moments where we were going one place, then Jill, me, and a couple of other friends ended up there, completely by accident. And then I met all the people involved in that. And then we just started going every single year after it. And I think that's the best mistake because that led me to meet Angus Abranson mm -hmm. at Dragon Meet. And that led me to work on Doctor Who, the role playing game, which led me to work for Mongo. It all led me to work just for blessed. sort of all around and, and the snowball rolled downhill. And I met you, obviously, mm -hmm. at the UK Games Expo. And that is, I think that's the mistake that is always worth making. Good one. Last question. Imagine that you have a time machine and you can go back in time and you meet your 10-year-old self, that one who got the red box, and you say to the 10-year-old self, do not do this. What would this be? Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm going to quote um captain america mm -hmm. which is uh i couldn't do this all day and my my particular thing would be is when you fail and get knocked down don't stay on the floor no matter what it is get back up get back in the cockpit get back in the spitfire take off and fly okay don't stay down yeah don't stay down Perfect. Because there are lots of people and there are lots of things that can happen, especially when you're a writer in the role play game industry. One moment you can be up, next moment you can be down. And the worst thing you can do is if you make a mistake and people don't like what you're doing, and you and you know, a genuine mistake, you've made a, a bad what you what you people would consider a bad problem. You've made a terrible mistake. If you can own that mistake, say, yeah, I made a mistake. I'm willing to go and rectify it or I'm willing to get back up off the floor and carry on going and learn from it. I think that's important. This is why if somebody knocks me down, I get back up off the floor repeatedly. Sounds like very sound advice indeed. Uh, Darren, thank you very much you indeed for being with me today. It's been as, as I thought it would be Absolute an absolute pleasure. pleasure. An absolute yeah. pleasure. And, and I look forward to seeing Strontium Dog. That that yeah. should be really exciting. May, I can't promise anything, but we may have it at UK Games Expo. If not, it'll probably be after it. But it would be nice to have it for the Expo. However, well, um, who knows? But here, around March the 3rd, keep an eye out on Ian World for the quick starter. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any news on this one which is running for a week. It's called Soul Space, the Spartan Gambit. Okay, I will definitely, definitely take a look at that. I very much look forward to that. Russ yep. came to me and he said, as he, as he sometimes does, I would like an adventure. And I went, oh God, oh. not an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that fond of writing them, but I'm getting fonder of writing them. And he's his brief and the only thing he told me was this needs to be die hard on a starship so i wrote a sandbox adventure for his to be created setting mm -hmm. which originally he was calling lower decks but now it's become soul space the spartan gamut and it exploded beyond anything i ever knew 
I'm just one tiny part of it. Um, the Spartan Gambit is a huge uh, setting book with an entire starship mapped. That includes physical maps in, in the book, deck by deck by deck, mm. and the whole map of, of the ship itself. And the adventure is basically you play away team members, and you're away on a planet doing some stuff, you get back to your ship, and it's been taken over by hostile invaders. And then you're not the captain or anything like that. You're just the lower deck officers, or not even that. You might be the person that cleans out ahead. You are then, it's up to you to take the ship back. And the whole ship is there for you to explore. That's It's a complete sandbox. Sounds, sounds excellent. Well, I very much look forward to seeing go. seeing that and hopefully talk to you about it when, when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you could, we could get Ross on potentially yes. as well. Yes, um, that'd be great. Same time, so we can have a, a discussion on that. Um, there yeah. is um, a lot of fun there. I won't say any more about it because I don't no, spoil it. No, 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 let's, let's not spoil anything. Darren, thank you. You're welcome. As you can tell, I wasn't in my usual environment, which is here, my studio, uh, or my home, because I was away. I'm sorry about that, but I hope that you will take a look at both the Judge Dredd role-playing game after the interview, and I certainly will take it with the Strontium Dog. I know, I have it very difficult to pronounce that, sorry. It's it's my fault. It is my fault. Uh, because I think they are going to be very cool, very idiosyncratic games, and they could bring some very nice experiences at the table. If you have already played these games, please do let me know. Leave me a comment in the show notes or in the comments in the YouTube channel. Remember to get in touch with me anytime you like. I am in Twitter. I am at GMS Magazine. You can check our Facebook page as well. If you like, you can email me podcast at GMS Magazine anytime you like. Find me, Facebook. Find me in Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. But until the next time. Thank you very much for being there and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Take care.